Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today? It's hard to do worse when the Astros announced that they're bringing Michael Brantley back. So, you know, I I'm saw doing that. okay. I thought of you when I saw that, and I don't know where I saw it. I think it was a pop-up on the old score app. That's a big deal, right? I mean, pretty fired up, clearly. It's just Uncle Mike coming back is a big deal to me. I'm very excited. I was antsy about that. I hope it's a sign that he's healthy and ready to come play, and that's going to be a very dangerous batting order next year. So oh, love do it. it. Man, if you were to bet, what's the odds that you think we could win next year's World Series? I mean... I don't know, like Vegas odds, shoot, I don't even know. Like, it's just so hard to do it back to back. And so many teams got so much better. And teams that I thought were going to beat us last year that were just a real threat didn't even make it, you know? So everything has to align. I, let's say like a 15 to 25% chance to repeat. It's just so difficult. Of course. I like our odds in some ways, but... I just know how difficult it is, even when you do everything right. Yeah. Well, with that said, man, if, and I'm going to say when, we do it back to back, would you get an Astros tattoo? I don't it's know. I sort of got now. put in a position a couple of years ago <laughs> where it was like, people weren't even asking. They'd like picked out the tattoo and all that. And it's like, this is it it, was just man. one Here's... of those, like, I might need somebody to do it with me, well, but sure never our, say never. I think our vice president should definitely do it. James Strickland, he's a diehard Astros fan. So I think if you guys talk about it i'm sure and then maybe you know have a sponsor someone pay for it even so you don't have to come out of your own pocket man anything's possible <laughs> you got to get me on that wave of exuberance after it happens <laughs> i'm like yeah sure let's get a couple you know yeah <laughs> oh man that's too funny well look as much as we'd love to talk about baseball there's no games being played right now but looking ahead i'm sure there's some things to look forward to but in the meantime we're going to keep discussing drilling fluids on a weekly basis today matt came up with a great idea again as he always does, to talk about pH. Now, for those familiar with pH, if you have a swimming pool, you probably know about it. But in the drilling fluids world, especially when dealing with water-based muds, pH is very important for a number of different reasons. Matt, so let's go ahead and dive into pH and we can kind of take it from there. But how would you describe pH and, and why is it important? So, I mean, trying to keep it basic and this stuff can get complex. I started looking up like some of the equations that you calculate between acid and base reactions. And I was like, oh, it was like a triggering effect of college chemistry class. Right. For our purposes, when we think of pH, is it more acidic or is it more basic? So pH is this broad scale where the lower the pH you go, you know, you're more acidic and the higher you go, you're more basic. And it's actually a logarithmic scale. Interesting fact, I came across this on Twitter not too long ago. The guy that developed all of this does not know why it's called pH. I'd always heard it was potential of hydrogen. We'll get into that in a little bit, but Danish guy, like his notes don't make any sense and he couldn't remember why he used pH. So the real answer for what is pH is nobody knows. Okay. But pH goes along a logarithmic scale from zero to 14. If you have a pH of seven, that's water, that's neutral. But since it's logarithmic, it's actually an expression like seven is 10 to the minus seventh 
in concentration. So the pH is the negative log value of the hydrogen atoms. Yes. The pOH is the negative log of the OH or hydroxyl ions. But think about it. You mix OH and H and what do you get? You get H2O, right? So you're right down the middle. But the point of saying it's logarithmic is that a pH from seven to a pH of eight is an order of magnitude, right? You add another zero of those OH concentrations. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's definitely bringing me back to chemistry class that I didn't listen very well in, but it does jive. And for the listeners out there, I mean, we're definitely going to talk a little bit more on, you know, the practical use of it, but I think it's important to understand because if you understand the fundamentals of pH and how this all works is it really allows you to effectively run a water-based mud and understand what's happening downhole because a lot of times the pH of the fluid really can determine the outcome of how well you can drill a well for a few different reasons. So Matt, do you want to get into the acid and bases and talk about the difference? You kind of did, but on a higher yeah, level. Well, let's dive into how this works for us on the rig. So adding a base, you do this all the time, probably when you run a water-based mud, because you might be adding caustic soda or caustic potash, but their chemical formula is for caustic soda is NaOH, sodium hydroxide. So that OH, you're adding those hydroxyls to the fluid, which is why the pH is going up because- the higher number, it's the concentration of those hydroxyls, right? And so KOH, same way, lime, same way, right? You know, now lime takes a little longer to solubilize because of some of its properties, but you want to increase your pH, you're adding those hydroxyl ions. And similarly, if you want to lower the pH, let's say with citric acid, the actual formulation of citric acid, if you look at it all written out, it's kind of a mess. But what you will see is that it's got a bunch of H's. That H plus is what lowers the pH more acidic environment, right? Mm -hmm. HCl. Think of your common acids, sulfuric acid that you use for your titrations when you're lowering the pH. What is it? H2SO4, right? So it has those hydrogens, lower pH. So when we're trying to balance these things, we're adding hydroxyls or adding hydrogens, or maybe we're getting them from something we're drilling through or think of H2S, right? It's called an acid gas. Mm-hmm. Right. And even CO2, CO2 isn't necessarily as much the problem as when it becomes carbonic acid, right? And carbonic acid, it's got an H in it. When we're thinking about how we do that or how we tweak our pH, that's sort of the thing to keep in mind is you're using products that add the H's or add the OH minuses. And then, you know, we have some of these tables and calculations and all that. It is true that like, no matter what you look up in the literature, salt and temperature are going to change the pH. They affect the pH. So it'll never be, you know, 75 degree, you know, room temperature, kind of what a lot of the books will say, but it's in the neighborhood. So you might need a little more product than what it says or a little less than what you expected. So yeah, that's kind of what we're doing on the rig. And I'm going to switch our outline notes around a little bit because Justin, I think we should talk about corrosion control before we talk about testing. Because I think that's a big part of what it's all about, right? Yeah. Well, it's, you make a huge point. And, you know, if you're looking between water-based mud and oil-based mud, water-based muds typically are a lot more conducive to increasing the potential for corrosion. And by simply adding a product that's not that expensive relative to other products in a water-based mud, you can control that. And by doing so, you can save a lot of wear and tear on equipment and everything else. But Matt, could you describe the relationship between pH and corrosion? 
Well, think about your pH in general. You know how we always talk about wanting to be like a nine or a 10 is sort of a safe space or, or general. Well, the reason there is we're not in an acidic environment, right? Remember that the scale is logarithmic, seven is neutral. So you're nine, you're a good ways away from an acidic environment where you might dissolve metal. I mean, might actually have acids that will break down metal, specifically steel, like iron, solubilized iron. That's really all we're trying to do is stay in that neighborhood. And of course, conversely, like then you say, well, why don't we run a pH of 14? So we have like no chance of corrosion. And we know that a really high pH can actually impact our product. It can actually break down our products by oxidation. So it can actually degrade the products through another mechanism. So like you might break down a polymer with hypochlorite and it's going to oxidize and break down polymers, starches, that sort of thing. So we don't want too high pH either. Along with it messes with elastomers and health and safety, it can burn you too. Because remember, it wants to go to neutral, right? So if you give it something that is a lower pH, it will react with it to try and go to neutral, like your hand. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all about a balancing act, right? Because it's kind of like, you know, more is not necessarily better. You know, you can go in one direction, but if you go too far, then obviously there's adverse effects. And so like everything with drilling fluids, it's somewhat of a balancing act. And if you go too far one way, you have to counter it by doing something else. And But nonetheless, it's, you know, I would say if you can dial it in and make sure that you got enough pH in there to help mitigate any corrosion on drill pipe, a lot of people will be very happy because that's going to be very expensive. And then tools and everything else, pump parts, you name it. I mean, drilling fluids touches just about anything in the drilling fluid process as the intro goes or in the drilling process. And it's such a simple, you can test it easily. You know, again, the products to adjust it are fairly inexpensive relative to other ones. But Matt, how would you go about testing it? Let's get into that part of it. So this is sort of funny because back in the day when I did kind of more high-end offshore stuff, I always swore that you were going to use a probe. So you can use test strips or a probe. And so I'd like roll my eyes when somebody would try and test pH with strips. And that was me being too far removed from the field because strips are great. They got a long shelf life. You know, you basically, it's called a colorimetric measurement. So you dip the strip in the fluid, just kind of touch it, let it soak some of the fluid in, and it's going to change color. And then on the box, you have a color guide and it changes the color pattern according to what pH it is. So you look and you visually match it. It's probably not great for the colorblind, but you match those numbers up. You say, okay, I got a pH of nine and a half. Great. If you wanted to be more precise, you could use the probe. And I think some of us have used them before. So it's got a glass electrode on it and you, you know, stick it in and whirl it around. And it just has a digital readout and gives you a number, which is great. But then you also need these three bottles of calibration standards to help calibrate the pH meter. And then those standards expire and you got to get new ones. And then you start to realize that that electrode over time, especially in salty solutions, starts drifting and it won't stay in calibration. Instead of calibrating every day, you have to calibrate it all the time. And then you hate it and get really mad. From a field support perspective, unless there's some narrow window, which doesn't come up very often, strips can be a lot more user-friendly. They're disposable. Electrodes are more precise and they have their place. You've got to keep an eye on them. It requires a little bit more observation. So sure. Yeah. Interesting. So we did touch a little bit on the products. Did you want to touch on anything else regarding the different products and certain applications and how we apply the products? Because you got to be pretty careful, especially when you're mixing stuff like caustic. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think we should run through a couple of things. So like one is obviously the health and safety aspect of adding something that's got a very high pH. So let's jump back to silicates, right? So silicate systems, the whole idea is the silicate is at a fairly high pH and the clay itself is at a relatively low pH. So when it encounters a lower pH, it precipitates out on the clay platelet and provides this amazing inhibition. So in that case, the product itself has a fairly high pH. The systems are run at a higher pH because you don't want it to get to a lower pH and precipitate. You want it to do that on the clay. Mm -hmm. So that's a product niche. When we encounter H2S, right? One of the challenges is like, Xanthan gum starts breaking down when you get the pH up above 11 and a half. Starches will definitely do that and goes back to the health and safety, you know, and caustic. Look, these things are looking for water, right? And your skin has it, your eye, your mucous membranes, your eyes, your throat, like they can burn you very, very badly in an effort to neutralize. Think about your spud muds. Do you like having a high pH there? No. No, because what will it do? It'll actually start causing your clay to react, right? So we might run it neutral because of the interaction with those young, you know, high swelling clays. We actually don't want our pH up. So we might have to do other things for our corrosion control program, but there you can actually flocculate the clays and cause them to want to come apart. Right. So pH is going to play a role in how you run your mud systems. In a water-based mud, you should have a range that you recommend and you will find that some products certainly may not like the higher range as much as the lower range and that sort of thing. And some things you just can't get the pH up because it won't solubilize. Like, you know, we talked about zinc bromide being very acidic. You can't get the pH up much above four or five. Mm -hmm. And if you did, other things would start precipitating out anyways. So you've got to learn how to deal with the product and use products that can manage that. So a different problem, but pH is most basic. Acids or bases, important for corrosion, may affect you know compatibility with certain products. So keep it in mind, make sure your mud program has any gotchas out there to, to keep an eye out for. Yeah, no, that's a great way to kind of summarize it. And I mean, I don't really have any closing last words or anything to add. I mean, again, it's, you know, kind of mud school 101 type stuff, but it's important. And, you know, again, with the flow line, you can always reference back. And if, if you haven't drilled with a water-based mud and you want to kind of school yourself up on pH, instead of having to skim through an old mud manual, you can just hop on here and search it and, and here you go. And Matt, with that said, I mean, of course, if any of the listeners have any questions or want us to dive deeper, this was kind of a, a chemistry related topic, but again, it's all part of what we do on a daily basis. And it's important that we understand why we maintain a certain pH and sort of the adverse effects if you get too low or get too high. Matt, anything else you'd like to add before we close out? No, I think that's good for this one. I'd say someday we need to jump into alkalinities, but we'll save oh, that for yeah. another episode, right? The lovely world of alkalinities. No, that's a great point, Matt. And with that said, everyone out there, please, if you like the show, please review it, subscribe, share it with all your buddies from back in the day you never know they might find this interesting but at the very least you know please reach out and connect with us on linkedin make sure you follow aes on linkedin and all the other social media channels that we have our team does a great job of continuing to distribute good content and content that you can learn from most importantly and with that said thanks everyone take care for now thanks for listening please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the flow line and remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.